seated tonight. I uh, want to share, thank you, Nate. <clears throat> I want to share with you what I think the Lord's spoken to my heart and my life and uh, hope to challenge us tonight. Um, children are the greatest blessing that a parent, I believe, can have in their lives. and um, I love the fact that they see the world through innocent eyes. And I pray that they keep that innocence as long as they possibly can. How many know that now that you're an adult, uh, you wish that you could go back and see the world that way? Um, it would be very nice, though. But to them, but to children, everything is fresh and, and, and new, and every thought and dream is possible to them. And they are in awe and wonder of many of the things that we adults take for granted in our lives. Because children see things completely different than what we do. I have been doing some reflecting this week as my children's uh, well-being has been, in my, has been my sole responsibility for the last couple of days. Uh, my wife has been out of state the first part of this week. She left Monday morning. Uh, leaving the three amigos to fend for themselves, and it has been interesting to say the least. I've realized this week that I am perhaps the biggest child in the Lytle household. It's sad when Aiden, 10, and Brantley, 4, have to be the adults and tell their father, it's time for us to go to bed, Dad. Although we've missed their mother greatly, uh, the guy time has been fun and it's been memorable as it always is. I attended yesterday Brantley's first daddy's night at school, which was a, a first, obviously, for, uh, for me, being his first year of preschool. Uh, we had good time. We, we, uh, we colored dinosaur pictures together and we cut out and painted ties that he made me promise that we would wear to church this Sunday. I don't know how that's going to work. We've laughed our way through the, fat, the, the first few days of this week playing video games, playing Legos, and cleaning up messes so that mom doesn't kill us all when she gets home tonight. And for at least these three days, Aiden and Brantley thought that they had the coolest dad in the world. I often have often thought of how wonderful it would be if again I could see the world with the innocence and simplicity of my children. I know that we have all heard the saying that the eyes are the window to the soul. What we take in has a lasting impact on what we become and how we develop spiritually. The Bible uses many metaphors to heighten our understanding of morals and ethics. Various parts of the body are used all throughout the scripture as metaphors to this end. Number one, the Bible talks about a hard heart, which signifies a person's resistance to the willing or to the will rather of God. Whereas it speaks to a soft heart signifying a person's willingness to and openness to the will of God being performed in their lives. The tongue is another interesting body part that the Bible, that the Scripture uses as a metaphor. The Bible tells us in James 3 and 8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. David, the psalmist, wrote in Psalms 15, 3, those who slander with the tongue will not be allowed in God's presence. And then in Psalms 120 and 2, David cried out to God to save him from people with lying lips and deceitful tongues. It is seen that when evil is in the heart of people, the tongue is the relief valve, or rather it's the floodgate which allows the evil to escape. You don't have to talk to someone for very long to find out that they have bitterness 
in them. Because if it is in them, it's going to come out through their tongue. How many know what I'm talking about tonight? The tongue is a very, can be a very evil part of our body. The hand is often used to symbolize power in the Word of God. In Exodus chapter 3, at the burning bush, God told Moses that he would stretch out his hand to strike Egypt so that the Israelites would be set free. In 2 Kings 5 and 11, Naaman expected Elijah to cure him of leprosy by simply waving his hands over him. In Mark 14 and 62, Jesus said that he would be seated at the right hand of God, denoting power. There are many other instances in Scripture where the hand is used to display power, control, and even ownership. But what I want to talk to you about tonight is the eye. The eye is a body part that often is used as a metaphor symbolizing either understanding or ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance as being uh, harsh tonight or not, not trying to be demeaning to anybody. And that's not what I'm saying. But it often symbolizes either understanding of Scripture or ignorance to the Word of God. This is because that the sight of the body or the eye corresponds to the sight or to the lack thereof of the Spirit, which is the understanding or the ignorance in which I talk about tonight. Job wrote that his eyes had grown dim with grief. You see, metaphorically speaking and meaning that his eyes reflected his emotions. We read in Job all that he had to go through. And we talk of, we read many scriptures where he was sitting around maybe a campfire with his friends and he asked them often, why have you come to trouble me? Why have you come to, to do this to me? Why, why are you being like, why don't you just get on board with my, my own pity, my own self-pity? Why don't you wallow in self-pity with me? But his, but his eyes or this... His eyes in Scripture, metaphorically, was talking about reflecting his emotions. The Bible describes a proud man as having haughty eyes. And it describes a humble man as having downcast eyes. You see, in Proverbs, the process of seeing is connected to one's heart or one's soul. The Scripture is full of references to the eyes, both spiritually and physically. From the Bible's opening scriptures, we are introduced to what can happen when our eyes begin to deceive us. Genesis 3, 4 through 7, And the serpent said unto the woman, Yet shall ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the days ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. The serpent was deceiving Eve with his words through her eyes. But the moment that you eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. We know the story well. We can most, most of us know it from our days in Sunday school. Even, or, but when Eve saw that the tree looked good, Looked like good eating, and she realized what she would get out of eating the fruit. When the serpent had convinced her and pulled the wool, so to speak, over her eyes, and when she knew that if she ate, she would know everything, she took and she ate the fruit and then gave it to her husband, and he ate it as well. You see, the serpent convinced Eve 
that her eyes would be open and then would receive knowledge of good and evil just like God himself. Kind of sounds like the world that we're living in today. The enemy tries to convince us, tries to get us to open our eyes or try to try to allow ourselves, so to speak, to become enlightened to things that we don't need to be messing with. But quite possibly the most significant weapon that the devil uses against us is our eyes. And I want to talk to you for the next little while on this subject. Keep thine eyes. See, the enemy would like to convince us as that as children that we could know within ourselves good, what is good and what is evil. He would like to persuade us that we don't really need God because that we can see what is right and what is wrong with our own eyes. Countless people have left our churches because they believed that they knew what was right and what was wrong in their own sight. They didn't need the man of God. They didn't need the teaching. They didn't need the preaching. They didn't need the scripture to tell them what was right and wrong because they had been enlightened and they had been uh, given a spirit of revelation and now they can tell themselves what is right and what is wrong. And they leave our churches thinking and saying that, that what they are teaching and what they are saying we can't do and where they're saying that we can't go is really not evil because I have been enlightened and I can look and I can see it's really not that bad. And people are being deceived, Brother Jerry, left and right. The enemy is deceiving them. He is pulling the wool over their eyes and he's convincing them that they don't need God. That God doesn't have to tell them what's right and wrong because they are educated to the, the, uh, to what the world views as right and wrong. And how many know that the world has a misconstrued view of what is right and what is wrong? The Bible says that there would come a day when they would call evil good and they would call good evil. And we're seeing that all throughout our world. We've seen it in our own country even in this election season that we have come through, the world sees so often evil as being good. But the enemy would like to persuade us. And if he could just persuade us that we can open our eyes in our own intellect and we can open our eyes by educating ourselves in this world, then we could quite easily be able to tell the difference from right and wrong. And I'm not just talking about what we learned as a kid that we know it's right to go into a store and buy a pack of gum rather than taking that same pack of gum and putting it in our pocket and walking out. And that's, not, that's not the right and wrong that I'm, I'm talking about, but what, what we are seeing in the Spirit to, to, let me put it this way, to try a spirit and know whether it be of God. That is what I'm talking about. So many wolves in sheep's clothing that are among us. So many people that are standing for what they say is good, but it really, at the root, is very evil because it is very anti-God and it's very anti-Scripture. And I, I don't want to get into a whole, a whole mess tonight, and that's not my intention but the world has seen, and, and the world, as we as a world, we as a, uh, a nation, let me say that, we have gone back on some of the very fundamental principles that our country was founded on. That marriage was between one man and one woman. Or that we are one nation under God. That we, were, that we are a nation founded on the principles that are found in the Word of God. But we have taken a step back 
because the world feels that it has been enlightened and that we don't need we don't need that anymore. That I've heard so many people say that that religion is a crutch for the weak. That scripture is a crutch for the weak. I, I beg to differ tonight. But I think that there's a group of people here gathered, and I believe that there are people gathered in churches all across our country and our world that believe that we are still one nation under God, that marriage is still defined as one man and one woman. Can I get an amen from the church tonight? I know that the the world would like us to not preach that and to stand for those principles, but I believe that, that the Word of God clearly lines out how we are to live and how we are to believe and how we are to conduct ourselves. And so that is why that I'm talking to you tonight about keeping our eyes, shunning our eyes from evil. Be careful at what we are looking at and how we are looking at it and not being confused and not being convinced that that what the world is doing is good and it's not evil. I'm telling you that the world that we live in is very evil. There's very little good about the world that we are living in. And I hate to say that tonight. There's very little good about the direction that the world is taking as a whole. And we need to train ourselves to see life out of two lenses at the same time. Adam and Eve immediately saw what was going on. They saw themselves naked. And as we read in Scripture, as I read to you, they sewed fig leaves together as a makeshift, as makeshift clothes rather to hide their nakedness. They were intended to know that they were naked. God didn't intend for them to know the things that they were suddenly enlightened about. God didn't intend for, for them to eat of the fruit and to know the difference between good and evil. The world that we live in, hear me tonight, is full of things that will try to alter your vision. The world will do everything in its power that it can to entice you to focus on anything other than spiritual. It would cause you to focus on anything other than what is eternal. And it would cause you to focus on uh, anything other than that which is, that would be good and pleasing to God. The enemy does not really care other than the fact that we do what is contrary to the Word of God, that we would do anything or that we would live a life that is not pleasing to God. The enemy would like nothing more for us, for the church, to adopt the world's vision, to adopt the world's way of thinking, saying that evil is good. But I believe that the apostolic church in this day, in this hour, has to stand up for what is right. For what we have been taught and what we have read and what we have heard preached in the Word of God to live a holy, separate life, free from sin. We can't live completely free from sin, but we can live in a sinful world, yet live above sin. If we aren't careful... We will set our sights on climbing the ladder of success and doing anything that we can without thinking about others around us. Because the world wants us to make more money. The world wants us to be more popular. The world wants us to be more famous, to have more power. The enemy would like nothing more than to persuade us to believe that, they, that these are the most important things in life. But God help us tonight to remember that though we are in this world, that though we live in this world, we are not of this world. We may be living here right now, but it isn't our permanent address. Sometimes we get caught up in life and we get caught up in the flesh and we get caught up 
seeking all of these things. And it's nothing wrong with making good money. And there's nothing wrong uh, with being popular. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's when it becomes the most important thing in our lives. When our job becomes more important than church, when, when our families and our family time and, and our vacations, and I think that we should have family time, and I think we should have vacations, but when all of that becomes more important than our relationship with God. Because first is our relationship with God. Second is our relationship with our family. And third is the house of God. But it's when we, those things become more important than our personal relationship with God. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to become so busy. He wants us to become so concerned with this world that we just lay aside our relationship with God and we lay aside everything that we know to be good. And when we begin to do that, we begin to adopt attributes of the world. We begin to allow evil things and we begin to allow things that are contrary to the Word of God to creep into our lives, affecting us much more than we ever thought we would be affected. And don't get me wrong tonight. We have to live. We can't seclude. I always said that mom and, and grandma, when she was alive and we were kids, grandma would, love, would have loved nothing more than to wrap us all in bubble wrap and not let us leave the house. Grandma didn't want me deer hunting. She said, when she knew it was deer season, she said, oh my, her words exactly, oh my God i got to stay up all night praying for you guys that you don't shoot yourself. If Grandma was alive today, Dylan still would be hearing it. But we have to live life. We can't seclude ourselves and hide in a corner until Sunday or until Wednesday, until it's time to go to church. We can't, we can't do that, and we all know that. We still have to work in this world. Our children have to go to school in this world and get an education. We still have to connect with people in this world because we have been commissioned to reach this world. But we must remember that our eyes cannot be on this world. Yes, we have to live here, but we must remember where we are headed. We have to think about the eternal things. We have to somehow get our minds off the temporary, off of this world, and focus on where we are headed. See, the world will try to convince you that the temporal is more important than that of the eternal. But I've come to preach against that, I've come to talk against that, whatever you want to call it tonight. And tell you that you have to look out of two lenses at the same time. We're human. And we have human eyes. We have fleshly bodies. We have fleshly desires. We have, yes, we have fleshly lusts that, that lie in every one of us. But we have to somehow overcome that. And we have to look through eyes, not of just temporal, but we have to look through eyes of the eternal. We don't have to we can't look through eyes of flesh, but we have to look through eyes of the spirit. We have to live in this fleshly world for a season. But the Bible tells us we cannot be of this world. God help us tonight to remember that we are in it, but we are not of it. I remember growing up, my mom and dad would often try to tell me, and I will admit this here, and if it goes out of this building, I will strangle everybody in here. But they were right sometimes. I don't. But mom and dad, they never, they didn't raise us to be arrogant. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that in you guys. And you taught us to be humble. And you taught us how we are to treat people. You told us that, that not only 
treat people good that were our age, but pay attention to our elders and our, our elderly. And you, you, you instilled those things. And we watched by example as you taught us that, as you were kind to everybody. It didn't matter their social status. It didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter what side of the track that they grew up in. But they also told us that you need to remember who you are. You are, there are some things that you are too good for. And there are some places that you are too good to go to. And there are some things that you are too good to do. And, and some things that you are too good to experience in life. And what they were telling me is that, no, that not, I wasn't any better than anybody else. And it wasn't that I, I, I came uh, from a, a, a line of money because Lord knows I didn't. That's not what they were trying to instill in us, but they were telling us kids, they were telling Annette and Becky and I that remember that you live in this world and you go to school and you're going to work in this world and you're going to have friends, but remember that this world is not your home. Remember that you're not living your life to try to get uh, ahead in, in this fleshly life. But we want you, we want you to be successful. But we would rather, Danny, that you would have a deeper relationship with God than to be a millionaire. I would rather that you would work in the kingdom of God than have great riches in this world. And I'm thankful for that. I'm very, I mean, I wish they would have told me to be a millionaire. That would have been fine as well. But they told me that the most important thing, they raised me that the most important thing in my life was not a baseball game. I played baseball growing up. I didn't understand. I used to get so mad, but I had games on Wednesday nights. And I'm like, Mom, I'm pitching Wednesday. She said, that's great. Dad said, that's great. Scotty, but they say, you can pitch until 6.15, and game over or not, you're leaving. And you're going to the house of God. Because church is more important than a baseball game. I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. Although it was embarrassing, Sister Bollinger, when I had to tell my coach, i got to go to church. I'm sorry. But we're in the middle of the inning. I'm sorry. You're going to have to take me out. i got to go. i got to go. i got, I, I got I to go to church. And maybe they snickered and maybe they laughed. But listen, I crossed paths with some of those guys that I played ball with who were the cool guys. And I look at their life now. And I see where they're at now. And I see where I am now. And I just often stop and I say, thank you, God. Thank you for parents that raised me to know what was right and wrong. Thank you for parents that raised me to love the house of God and to love the things of God more than I love the things of the world. Thank you, God, for allowing that. And God, help me. My prayer is, God, help me to raise my kids the same way. Help me, Aiden. Tonight, he said, Dad, did you get an email from my teacher? I'm thinking, boy, I better not be getting an email from your teacher. He said, no, no, Dad, Dad, Dad. There's a, I don't know, some kind of a robot class that's on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. He said, Dad, I want to be part of that class that's right down his alley. And uh, I said, well, I said, I told the teacher, I said, I, I don't know if I can, but I, 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 I talked to mom, I just called mom, and I said, I, I think it'll be okay because it's not on church night. And I chuckled and I said, you're doing something right. Because he knows that if it's not a church night, then he can be part of it if it's something that we think that he should be part of. But he knows that if it's on a Wednesday night or if it's on a Sunday, he doesn't even need to ask me because it's not going to happen. Because I'm trying to instill in him to look through eyes of the Spirit, to look through uh, eyes of the Spirit to see the eternal things, to say, I know that, that it's something that you may want to do, but sometimes we have to make sacrifices. Because if we want... If, if our purpose is to make heaven, if our purpose is a relationship with God, 
then there's nothing in this world that should distract us from from living our life for the things that are eternal. Because this world, the Bible tells us, and everything in it will pass away. But he said, but my word will never pass away. He's saying that the things of the flesh are not always going to be there. Because you're going to get old and you're... You're not going to be able to play softball anymore. And I'm there. Oh, my God, I'm there. You're not going to be able to play baseball anymore. Mick, we're not going to be able to play basketball forever. I love golf, but I'm not going to be able to play golf the rest of my life because that is a season. It will pass from my life. And if I have put everything, uh, all my energy, all my focus, and all, all, all of my my being into those things, then I'm going to be gravely disappointed because one day it's going to be over. One day, whether, all, whether we all want to realize it or not, or admit it or not, one day if God tarries, we are all going to take our last breath. Somebody is going to attend our funeral someday if God tarries. And if we've just lived our life for here, the Bible says it like this. The man gains the whole world but loses his own soul. What profit is it? What is it going to matter when we stand before God? He looks at us and he said, but I never knew you. You lived your life looking through Fleshly eyes. You you lived your life looking through sinful eyes when you should have been looking through the spiritual eyes that I have given you to know what is good and what is evil. Let us determine that tonight as a church, as children of God, that we are going to focus on reaching the world with the power of God's love. And we need to pray that we can see others as God sees them. If we are going to do this successfully, if we're going to successfully evangelize our world, then we're going to have to look and see things differently and look through a different set of lenses, look through different eyes and see things in the spirit realm. On our own, none of us, none of us possess the ability to truly know what's right and what's wrong. Yes, our parents hopefully taught us what is right and what's wrong. Basically, they they taught us what is legal and illegal. By tanning our hides a few times maybe. But we don't have the ability within ourselves to determine what's right and wrong. We don't don't have the ability ourselves to see things in the Spirit as God sees them. We don't. The Bible says that His ways are not our ways. His, His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're so far above. And let me add that His sight is not our sight. Only He truly knows what's right and what's wrong. And that's why we have the Word of God. That's why we cannot live in this world and yet live above sin without having our nose in this book. You can't expect to know how you ought to, you ought to conduct yourselves or how you ought to live your life and how you ought to be and how you ought to act unless you have your nose in this book. To read the words of the one who knows the difference between right and wrong. Our human nature will always try to justify just like Adam and Eve. This is exactly 
why we must look to the Scriptures to find out what is right for our lives. Don't get called up, and hear me tonight, don't get called up in justifying your life and your actions to someone else's lives and actions. Don't get caught up with saying, well, I'm not doing anything as bad as so-and-so's doing. And they're on the platform and they're doing this and they're involved. Don't get caught up with trying to justify your sin with somebody else's sin. Don't try to justify your actions to Facebook or Twitter. We better find out what the Word of God says, not what somebody posted on social media. Not, when, not what somebody who is, as pastor said it the other day, not as somebody who is a poser, acting like that they're living right when they're really not living right at all. I think that we ought to have, we ought to pray for God to give us the spirit of discernment so that we can try spirits and see whether they be of God or not. That when a wolf in sheep's clothing comes to us and says, well, I've been enlightened. I, I, I pastor preached that the other night, but I, I don't believe that. I don't have to live that way. I'm going to do my own thing. You better try that spirit. And if that is you, then you need to try your own spirit. If that is a friend of yours, then you need to try their spirit and find out whether they be of God or not. And you don't need to take godly accounts. You don't need to take godly counsel from someone who does not look through eyes of the spirit. Too many people trying to justify what they're doing and how they're living by someone else. All the while, the man of God is standing back in the distance saying, don't do that. Don't seek advice from them because I see things that you're not seeing. I see that their spirit does not line up with this book. Be very, very Careful when somebody comes to you. I'm very careful. Brother Bollinger, there's some men that I have that speak into my life. Some men that I've called up on the phone and I said, listen, you may be, you're, you're a little older. I don't, I don't try to do it someone who's my age. I want, I want people who are older than me. And if they're younger or my age, I want to make sure that they are definitely on a different spiritual plane than I'm on. But I've told them, if you ever see anything in my life, you ever see me do anything that's contrary to that book, and pastor, yes, pastor is one of them. You ever see me do anything that it does not line up with that book, I'm giving you permission to pull on my coattail. You sit me down, you call me in your office, and you say, I, I, I don't want you doing it. You don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be going there. You don't need to be acting like that. I've told people, if, if you have a word from my life, if God has given you a word from my life, I'm giving you permission to pick up the phone and tell me, thus saith the Lord. Why is that? Because I want to be accountable. I'm going to look through spiritual eyes. And these are men that I respect, men that have a great walk with God. Pastors, yes, some of them are, some of them aren't. But they have a great walk with a God, and I trust that they look through spiritual eyes. And when they examine my life, and when they look and they see me looking through fleshly eyes, that they have enough gumption to say, he is not lining up with the Word of God. So I'm going to tell him, thus saith the Lord. You need to change that. That's why you need to be very careful. I say have people that you're accountable to, people that you choose, but be very careful when someone approaches you other than pastor or other than a man of God that is highly anointed. Be careful when somebody approaches you and say, let me give you counsel. Because you better know what their spirit is. You better try that spirit and know if it's God. You better, you better be able to distinguish if their spirit is good or it's evil. Am I making sense tonight? Better look at the temporary, but you better live by the eternal. We're in this world. We have to look at it. That's fine. That's fine. But we better we better live by what's eternal.
Because our eyes, if we will allow them, will deceive us every time. The biggest weapon, this is the biggest weapon that the enemy uses, I think, today. Convincing children of God that we can know within ourselves what is good and what is evil. There are numerous instances in the Bible where God altered the lenses of men's eyes in order to see something totally different than it was because of a temporary situation. Too many people are making permanent decisions based on temporary vision. To that I say stop believing a lie because none of us are God. I'm convinced more than ever that God has to control the lenses, and I'm talking to me tonight. God has to control the lenses of my eyes and allow me or to make me see clearly. But He can also, just as easily as He can make me see clearly, He can blur my vision to see men as trees walking. Or He can totally blind me if that's what He prefers to do. God blinded Saul totally and he altered not only his sight, but he also changed his name and altered his purpose in life. He had to be completely blinded to the temporary so that he could see the future in the eternal. The Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, told us in Romans 12 and 2, And be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, hear me, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is telling us, he's admonishing us that our minds need to be trained to think differently than we have in the past. And part of this training is to learn to see both the temporal temporal and the eternal. See, life is hard. And I don't discredit that at all. But God has a purpose to life at the same time. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 16, and we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing the whole, or bearing about in the body and dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe. And therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the Thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's temporal, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight and glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. Paul learned to firmly fix on the eternal perspective with his spiritual eyes. Paul never minimized the pain of the temporal. He never said that it wasn't hard. He never said 
that trying to live in a sinful world and live above sin, he never said that it wasn't difficult. He never said that there wouldn't be pain that we'd have to go through. You may be here tonight. You have pain in your life or you have pain in your family or you have pain in the situation that you may be going through. But I've come to tell you tonight that you cannot fix your eyes on the temporal. And I don't minimize what you're going through. So don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's nothing because it is. But you've got to set your eyes on the eternal things of God. It can't be on the disease. It can't be on the situation. But you've got to train your eyes to look higher and to look far beyond what our human eyes can see. But look through eyes of spirit and know that God is going to work everything out. For our good. Quickly drawn to close tonight. I'm out of time. Discouragement did not win in Paul's life. He was perplexed. He had all kind of trouble going on. But he set his eyes on another world. Because he said in Philippians chapter 1, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxed confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I've come to tell you tonight that whatever you are going through tonight is for a purpose. Whatever you're facing is for a purpose. It's time that we realize that we need to stand and fix our eyes on something that is not of this world, but rather it is of another world. God, help us tonight to fix our eyes on eternal things. I pray that we can rip off the lenses of the temporal of this world and that we can lay down some things that are holding us back from seeing through spiritual eyes, that we can let go of some weights that are holding us down and that we can let go of some sins that I would just want to say that just aren't worth it. Get your eyes off the world and get your eyes on Jesus. Pray that God... Lord Jesus, fix my eyes to see through the spirit realm. In the last chapter of Luke, Jesus is with his disciples following the resurrection, but he had altered their version. The Bible tells us that they would not know him. He opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well of water. He opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel. Listen, our eyes are dangerous because they see things often that we cannot control. Isaiah 5 and 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Take note, any time that God says woe, he said woe unto them. Woe to the person that calls evil good and good evil. And put darkness that put darkness for light and light for darkness. And put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and pursue in their own sight. I don't know if I can preach, if I can talk to you about a more important subject than I am this evening by telling you, you better keep your eyes. I'm not just talking about the things that you take in every day. We know that the Bible tells us if your eye offends you, come on, somebody help me. You better get it out of you. You better take it out. But also, I'm not just talking about that, but I'm also talking to you about a mindset that is the result of seeing things that we think are important when in reality they really are not important at all. Seeing things as, I've got to have this, when really they aren't going to matter when we stand before God. 
Got to have this in life. What, have you heard it? I've never seen a hearse leave a funeral home pulling a U-Haul behind it. All those things that we thought were important, not going to matter. God tarries. He doesn't, even if He doesn't tarry. They're not going to matter when we stand before Him. I refuse to walk in fear that my eyes will fool me and cause me to stumble and fall. Rather, I will walk in faith knowing that God Himself is ordering my steps because I will guard my eyes. Christian Life Church, we need to focus on one thing tonight, and that is we need to focus on the things that are eternal, the things that are going to get us out of this world. We need to focus on what God wants for our lives and not what society tells us we've got to have. Setting our eyes on Him will allow, and allowing His Word rather, to shine the light of truth into our hearts. Matthew 6, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. When we keep our spiritual eyes fixed on God, Our whole life is filled with light. The Bible tells us that our spiritual eyes are on this world. But we are often covered with great darkness. We have to get in and we have to stay in His Word. I'm talking about much more than just reading its contents. But praying and asking God to speak to us through His Word. As for me tonight... I want God to saturate me with His presence. I want to know His Word. I want want to hide His Word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. I want want to know His Word. I want it to be alive in my life. We have decided, many of us, for the last 37 or 18 days, to fast and to pray and to read the Word of God. But listen, it has to be more than just 40 or 21 days. But it has to become a lifestyle. We, we must walk in His Word. It must become a lamp into our feet. And it must be a light to our path. The last thing I'll say tonight, I'm reminded of the story of 2 Kings chapter 6, when the king of Syria sent his armies to surround the city of Dothan to capture the man of God. 2 Kings 6 and 15, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host can pass the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He asked, what are we going to do now? Or as we would say today, we are doomed. I see that we are up, what we are up against, and there is no way of us getting out of this thing. There's no way out for us. We're going to perish. We're going to die. With his temporal eyes, he didn't take. He it, it, it didn't. He it didn't take long for him to look in his human eyes to see that there was not much hope. The servant probably thought that there was no future for them. It was a hopeless situation. But the man of God knew how to use his spiritual lenses. The man of God replied to his servant in verse 16, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than be with them. Then we find out that the man of God prayed for his servant in verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. What what do you mean? What do you mean by that? He already had seen the horses and he would already seen the chariots. 
He already seen the great army and the great host that they were going to have to face. But Elisha prayed, don't open his temporal eyes, but I want you to open his eternal eyes. And I want him to see that greater is he that is in him than he that is in them. Let him see that no matter what he is facing, that we serve a God that is able to deliver us and to set us free. Let him see that we serve a God that is able to take what little we have and defeat what great that the army has. Don't open his physical eyes, but open his spiritual eyes so that he may see. And this, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is my prayer for this church. That we will take our eyes off the temporary. Some of you, I know your situations. You're discouraged. You are, you're down. You're depressed. Some of you are probably even at the end of your rope. But I came to speak a word of hope to you. And that word is, if you will take your eyes off what you see with your natural vision. And you will put your eyes on the things that God will allow you to see with the spiritual. Then you will see that your future is much brighter than you could have ever imagined. He has come to speak to all of us in this house tonight. Thought it was over. But he that is with you is way more powerful than he that be with him. Tonight, my word for you is just simply keep your eyes. Keep your eyes from evil. Keep your eyes from sin. Keep your eyes off the things of this world and set your focus, set your vision on spiritual things. Stand with me. You may say, I, I'm not a super spiritual person. Well, you should be. You ever heard that saying that we can be so heavenly, heavenly minded that we're no earthly good? I hate to tell you, I don't know anybody who's that heavenly minded. I don't believe that Lee Stone King, one of the greatest preachers in our movement, who has a walk with God like nothing I've ever seen in my life, I don't think he has to worry about being too heavenly minded. So if he doesn't have to worry, pastor doesn't have to worry, some of these great men of God don't have to worry, then why should we worry? Why, why should we worry and say, well, I can't become so heavenly minded that I can't live in this world? No, 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 no. That does not need to be our thought. But our thought process is, God, let heaven be on my mind. Let things of the Spirit, God, let me see things that I've never seen before. That I told you already, that's been my prayer in 2017. We had prayer meeting on Monday. Sister Bollinger, we prayed, we prayed, Dylan prayed. He got in this pulpit with a mighty anointing. And he said, he said the angels are here with a specific purpose of taking your prayers to the throne of God. And she came to me after service and he no more than said that. She said, then I got a call from my son. And they've been fighting for five months, she said, of just total chaos. He's trying to get his disability that they've rejected. And she said, before he spoke those words, I got a phone call from him, and he never calls me. She said, I stepped out. And she, well, she first said, I'm sorry I walked out. I'm like, don't be sorry. That. She said, I walked out. And she said, Chad was on the phone and said, Mom, I just want to let you know that my disability approval papers just came in the mail. I'm telling you right now, God is going to allow us to see things that we have never seen before. God is going to let us, to see, let us see things in the Spirit that we thought that we would never see. Yes, dead being raised. Yes, the, the lame walking. Yes, the deaf hearing. And yes, the blinded eyes being opened. But listen, we cannot, we will not ever experience that. We are looking through eyes of flesh. You've got to get your eyes focused on things in the Spirit. 
When you focus on things of the Spirit, God will show you things. God will talk to you. God will do things through you. Get your eyes on the eternal things. Would you just raise your hands right now? God, help us. God, help us tonight. Lord, to look through eyes of the Spirit. God, to put away the fleshly eyes that are so natural to us and that are so comfortable to us, God. And help us to put on that spiritual vision. God, to keep our eyes from this world. Keep our eyes off this world. God, and have our focus on things that are eternal. That are going to last for all eternity. God, help us. Speak to us. God, those that are struggling tonight. God, those that are depressed. Those are, that are at the end of the rope. God, those that are about maybe even to throw in the...